Welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories. Today's story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri, the Canberra region, and also the UN nation around the south coast. For Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, Nam, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. Now that we are emerging from COVID lockdown restrictions, aren't you outraged to find burned and unburned forests being trashed under the nasty new logging rules? People are starting to rise up again against this destruction. On the 20th of May, a film clip went viral when Boomerjin of the Gumbengia Nation stopped log trucks with his dance. As the trucks rolled in to fell trees, record holes and song lines in the Nambaka Head State Forest, New South Wales. And in Western Australia, Tasmania and Victoria, people are also standing up to stop the logging of exquisite forests. Later in the show, we'll be going on a journey into some New South Wales forests with forest defenders using logging harvest plans to monitor the planned logging operations. Then we'll hear Dr Jen Sanger on her recent research that shows that old, wet, unlogged forests slow down the advance of forest fires. First, how can we save the critically endangered swift parrot? BirdLife Australia is jumping in and has just launched a campaign to rescue this bright green parrot. To talk about this, I have on the line Sean Dooley. Sean, you're a national birdwatching champion. You hold the record <laughs> for seeing the most birds seen in one day, yes? Most birds seen in one year, yes. I, I managed to blow my inheritance by buying a four-wheel drive and going bird watching for a year and in the process seeing more birds in one year in Australia than anybody else had ever done. You're talking to us now from BirdLife Australia. Today we're going to be talking about the swift parrot. When was the last time you saw a swift parrot? Well, I had the really wonderful fortune just last week to see Swift Parrot. Uh, like most people, I'm working from home If for those who still have jobs. Uh, but yeah, we're not going into the office at BirdLife Australia. So I've been the last seven weeks here in my house in, in suburban Melbourne. And I was out in the backyard actually splitting wood, to, to be honest. And a Swift Parrot flew over my head just a couple of metres above me barreling along as they do. They're the most incredible birds. They're, their name is what it says on the box. They are really fast-flying birds. And this one just shot through the backyard calling just before dusk, heading towards what must have been its roosting site for the night. And it was just so brilliant to see one so close to home. You know, you, it's not often that you see a critically endangered bird in suburban Melbourne, but you can get them in suburban Melbourne, suburban Hobart, and other places like Sydney, Bendigo, even as far north as Toowoomba when they're on migration. And to think, of this bird, there's less in the wild than there are tigers. And yet I saw one in my backyard. It was pretty impressive. We know that they're facing extinction. Yeah, the swift parrot is officially listed under federal environment laws. It's officially classified as critically endangered which is basically the last stop before Extinction Town on the Extinction Express. They're a beautiful bird that breed only in Tasmania and they only breed at a few sites in Tasmania and one of the issues for them is they don't nest in the same spots every year. 
because they need two things to successfully raise chicks and one is tall old trees that have sufficient hollows in them that they can build their nests in and those trees need to be near uh, flowering bluegum forests because they feed unlike most parrots swift parrots feed on nectar primarily eucalypt nectar and the bluegum is what they feed on when they're feeding their chicks and nesting and the bluegum forests in Tasmania don't flower all at once they some forests in some areas will flower some summers and in other summers they won't. And so the swift parrots need to change where they nest every year, which makes them all the more harder to protect. And unfortunately in Tasmania, there's been an awful lot of logging that's gone on where the habitat trees have been knocked out and their nesting trees have been cut down. And unfortunately that is still continuing to this day. And we're really concerned at BirdLife Australia that uh, with the laws that are in place, the forestry laws in Tasmania, as of April, they have opened up new areas potentially for logging, and those include remnant areas where swift parrots breed. And even as we speak, every year, existing swift parrot nesting trees are, are cut down, either uh, legally for timber, or often it's turned into pulp, or illegally by firewood collectors and the like. But the researchers that we work with at BirdLife Australia, the researchers have told us that they've been monitoring trees that have had swift parrot nests in them and they've come out and those trees have been cut down when the birds are nesting in them. So we're actually seeing not only the habitat loss, but, but individual trees are being destroyed when the birds would be nesting in them. So that's one of the reasons they're critically endangered. It's the main reason, but also on the mainland, uh, they fly over every autumn and then they follow the blossom of the eucalypts throughout our forests and woodlands. So usually in a typical winter, they'll go on the inland side of the Great Divide and follow the great box ironbark forests and feed in the nectar of those trees. But in drought years, when those trees don't flower, they often head to the coast, particularly along New South Wales. And the, the key areas for these birds are the south coast of New South Wales between really Bermagui to Batemans Bay and then also the mid-north coast around Port Macquarie. And unfortunately, again, we've had historical clearing and forestry cutting out lots of swift parrot habitat. But even today, there are areas in the south coast of New South Wales that are available for logging and proposed to be logged. And particularly after the fires, after the bushfires we've had, a lot of the feeding areas have been burnt and they won't be any good for swift parrots this year, certainly, and probably not for a few more years. So the few areas that are left, some of those, uh, amazingly, are still vulnerable and still proposed to be logged. And that is just going to drive the swift parrot to extinction even quicker. In the wake of the devastating fires, we need our political leaders to get a move on with delivering laws to protect these birds and the rest of our ecosystems that are at risk? Definitely, because we do have nature laws in place that are supposed to protect these birds. We have at the federal level, the Commonwealth level, we have the EPBC Act, which is essentially the Threatened Species Protection Act. And that's been in place since 1999. But I was out doing volunteer surveys for swift parrots in 1999, and there were thought to be several thousand swift parrots back then and we thought they are in trouble. Today, we think there's probably around 1,000 birds left. So when I was a kid, there were thought to be 8,000 swift parrots. So we've lost 
75% of the world's swift parrots have disappeared in my lifetime, and probably more than half of those have disappeared since the EPBC Act was brought in. So clearly it's not protecting swift parrots. And what we need is legislation at a national level that will protect our heritage, these unique Australian animals that, that are disappearing. But the current situation with the EPBC Act, which is up for review, but the current situation is federally, because this bird has been listed as critically endangered, about to become extinct, any activity that is going to enhance its vulnerability for extinction needs to be reviewed. And cutting down the trees that they nest and feed in is clearly an action that is going to impact on swift parrots. However, the way our nature laws work in Australia, those laws, those federal laws are actually specifically overridden by things like regional forest agreements and they take precedence. So the Tasmanian government and the New South Wales government can make decisions that are contrary to the survival of the swift parrot by allowing logging in these critical areas and there's nothing that the federal government can do about it. So we have a system of nature laws that don't actually protect nature. BirdLife Australia has launched a campaign today, is that right? Yes, we have. We, we know from, and, and particularly in this time this year when we've had the devastation from the bushfires and we've had everybody, you know, the devastation that, that the COVID-19 crisis has caused, people are, are sort of needing and becoming more aware of what's going on in the world around them. And they're connecting with nature with more. And we know from all of our feedback from our supporters, but all of the research we do, that Australians, a large proportion of Australians, have a, a really strong love and connection with our natural world. And we want it protected. And so we are trying to harness that at BirdLife Australia because it really is a now or never moment for the swift parrot. If we continue to log the areas that are supposed to be logged where swift parrots exist. The studies all show from Australian National University and elsewhere that the swift parrot is on a trajectory for extinction within 15 years. And if we, if we cut down the trees that they're relying on to breed in Tasmania and to feed in New South Wales, then, then that 15 years, is, that window is going to be even shutting even tighter. And it really is, if we don't act now and we don't, let the politicians know that we care about these birds, we care about our natural heritage that belongs to all of us, then we're going to lose it. What can people do? I saw that there's a place on the BirdLife Australia website where you can send a letter to your Member of Parliament. Yes, yes, there is. BirdLife Australia has 175,000 supporters around Australia and we're calling on them and everyone that they know to, to actually get in touch with their local MPs can go to the Act for Birds website and click on the Swift Parrot links where we're trying to get people to pledge that they want to protect Swift Parrots forever. And so you can find your local representative and send an email to them saying that with the EPBC review coming up and with all these decisions to open up forests after the bushfires, remnant forests that didn't burn that are so crucial for so much wildlife, that we need to just stop and think about what we're doing and make sure that what we do now isn't going to see us lose these precious birds in the, in the really near future. Now's the moment, eh? Definitely. If ever there was a more clear-cut case 
now or never for extinction, then it's the swift parrot. Sean Dooley, thanks for talking to Earth Matters. Let's save the swift parrot. Yes, let's hope so, because they are well worth saving. They're just the most glorious creatures. Thank you for joining Earth Matters, broadcasting across stolen lands on the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. After talking to Sean, I went with some forest lovers and defenders for a drive in the tall spotted gum forests near Ulladulla, New South Wales, where swift parrots had been seen eight years ago. We were armed with forestry harvest plans downloaded from the portal in the New South Wales forestry website. The defenders stopped to study the forestry harvest plans, working out what questions they needed to ask forestry about exactly how they planned to proceed with the logging, making sure that no rules about protecting animals and plants are broken and that everything possible that the rules are meant to protect are protected. Just getting familiar here with the harvest plan map, you can see on this guide this blue crosshatching. That's a wildlife habitat clump, but it's also got pink there, which is a carryover exclusion zone for a squirrel glider. So there's someone's recorded that there's a squirrel glider in there, and so they're not meant to be logged. And so because we're just here, we're going to drive along and have a look and see where that is, you know, physically. We want to know that that doesn't get logged. The other thing is to look at is creeks. Have the creeks been defined as the right class? And you can see here that they're shaded drainage line one. Because it's a bushfire, it's got more protection. Normally it's only five metres, but they're making it 20 metres. Widened it just because of the, the fires. Really, they shouldn't be logging at all. Then the light blue creeks go into a, you know, when they two of them join, it becomes a class three creek and it's 30 metres. See how it's dark blue? It's a bit wider. And then it's actually joined a river flat eucalyptus forest threatened ecological community that's marked out in grey. So again, that's an exclusion zone. It's not to be logged. Yellow is what they call selective harvesting, but really they just take the trees they need except for the rules that we've sort of got listed here. So the light yellow are the areas that they're meant to be accessing. So that's a desktop check. But today we're doing a roadside check, so I'll go into it just a little bit. So we're going to ground truth this map. And so we've got our harvest plan and and map. Um, We've got some marking tape, which is just handy in case we do see a tree. We want to photograph and, and email forestry and say we want that tree protected. And we've also got our mobile phones with the location on, so our photographs have GPS coordinates. The sort of thing we're looking at is the location of the logging dumps. So these little numbers here are logging dumps. So right here, when we get to the compartment road, you've got logging dump 9 that's close to the road, logging dump 15 and 16. So we're going to stop and have a look at those. We look at the steepness. For example, I know up in the sort of high country, logging over 30 degrees is marked on the map as, you know, it's just not loggable. The other thing to look for is the accuracy of the tree retention and wildlife retention clumps. So we'll just sort of see where that is on the ground. And then general features include recreational walking and mountain bike trails. We can request 10 metre buffers for those. Um, Indigenous features. So I have found a scar tree and that triggered a, a 20 metre buffer. Um, European historical features and also flora and fauna and then we've got so we've got to, just to start with just a two-page list of flora and fauna so you've got that there you can have a look at yeah is there any swift parrot food trees around here yeah there were 15 um, swift parrots recorded in 2012 that record will trigger 
the need to protect nectar trees for them. Scientists have been monitoring our forests for decades. Recent research by Dr Jen Sanger and team confirms work from Professor Lindemeyer showing that old forests, unlogged forests, slow or even stop forest fires. Hello, Dr Sanger. Hello. Why did you do this study? What did you look at and what have you found out? Okay, so our study looked at the impact of logging and land use on fire. What we found was that forests which had been previously logged uh, burned at a higher severity than old growth forests. We also found the same pattern for plantation forests as well, where they burned at a higher severity than the older forests. Our study was done in an area of Tasmania, which is south of Hobart, uh, called the Huon Valley. So this area was impacted by quite extensive fires, which burnt during January 2019. What we did to how we completed the study was we used aerial photographs, which were taken after the fire. And we had a look at these photographs to see what parts of the forest burnt and which hadn't. What we found was that areas that had been logged before tended to burn slightly more than the other types of forests. But the main difference we found was actually in the fire severity. So logging regrowth and plantations, uh, 60% of the time they had what we call crown fires. Uh, So this is when the fire actually gets up into the tops of the trees. Mm -hmm. Well, when we compared that to um, mature forests, so older forests, that only happened at about 21% of the time. And then when we looked at the really old growth forests, it only happened about 12% of the time. So crown fires, uh, as I said, when the flame gets up into the tops of the trees, but when the flames get up there, they actually become a lot more intense and a lot harder to control. This is because the eucalypts have oils in their leaves. So when the fire gets up there into the tops of the canopy, they're quite flammable, these oils, and makes the fires quite large. Yeah, and so the reason why there is this difference is when you compare an old growth forest compared to a forest which is regrowing after a disturbance like logging, they're actually quite different ecosystems. So a logged forest tends to have a lot of smaller eucalypt trees growing closer together. And as I said, because eucalypts are quite flammable because of these oils, the fire can actually spread quite quickly through the forest because there's lots of these eucalypt trees close together. But it can also uh, get up into the canopy a lot easier because these younger trees generally have branches going all the way from the ground up into the top. So we compare that to an old growth forest. We tend to have uh, only a few eucalypt trees, but they're spread quite out. Uh, and their canopies are actually quite a high way above the forest floor. And also to an old growth forest, especially down here in Tasmania and in Victoria, they tend to have a lot of rainforest plants grown in the understory. So these plants don't burn as easily as eucalypts. And they also provide a nice shady layer on the understory floor, which helps retain moisture in the leaf litter. So it's often a lot damper there and so it just doesn't burn as easily. Mm. Can you summarise that to say that an old wet forest could stop fires? Yes, definitely. That's generally like older wetter forests uh, slow down the path of fire and this is actually quite a 
well-known phenomenon. Even people back 100 years ago who were working in the forests, they noticed this as well. They noticed when the fire hit these, these damp forests with the rainforest understory, the really old growth forests, the fires tend to slow down and, and often disappear. That sounds like such a useful result, such a, an informative thing to find out. And of course, you're not the only one working on this. The ecologist Professor David Lindemeyer is a world authority on how fire affects the Australian forest. And he's also recently produced a very broad-reaching research piece about the massive fires last summer. Have you had a look at that? Yeah, I have. It's a really interesting piece of research. So uh, David Lindemeyer's study uh, looked at the patterns of fire in Victoria over the last 20 years, and um, they found a result that was quite similar study to ours, is that areas of state forests, so these are forests that are often subject to logging, uh, they often burn more than areas of national park, which generally tends to have old growth forests. So David and his team also looked at the pattern and the frequency of fires. And what they found is is there's been what they term like mega blazes that have been burning in Victoria. And they looked at how frequent they had been over the last 20 years. And they found that there's actually been three of what they call these mega blazes in the last 20 years. So these are fires that burn over a million hectares of forest. So you compare that to what's happened previously. So prior to 20 years ago, there's only ever been one large fire recorded in the area, and that was back in, in 1939. So historically, these big, large fires have been quite rare, but what we've seen in the last 20 years is they're becoming quite a lot more common. So we've had three in the last 20 years. And the new this normal? Is, yes, the new normal. And definitely, uh, this is definitely because of climate change, which is making our ecosystems a lot drier and the fire weather more intense too. Mm. This is quite an important phenomenon because it's actually impacting our native plants and animals quite a lot because there's some areas of Victoria that have actually burnt patches of forest which have actually burnt three times in the last 25 years. So a lot of our species are not really adapted to that high level of uh, fire frequency. So For instance, there's a tree species called mountain ash, which is the tallest tree in the southern hemisphere. Is that the eucalyptus regnans? Yep, that's the one. So eucalyptus regnans can grow up to 100 metres tall, which is quite impressive. Uh, But they're actually killed by fire. So they grow in, in ecosystems where there's only fire every couple of hundred years. So when a fire does hit the forest, these trees die and they regrow from a whole bunch of seed that regrows after fire. They obviously need enough time to regrow and become mature and set seed before the next fire comes along. But in some of these areas which are getting burnt three times in 25 years, that's that's not enough time for them to mature and set seed before the next fire comes through. So they're actually disappearing from these areas, which is quite sad. Both Linda Meyer and you hint that this sort of research result means that we have to rethink how we manage our forested landscapes to protect ourselves against fire and, of course, against climate disruption by storing carbon in the soil and trunks of the trees. Is that right? 
Yes, that's absolutely spot on. We really need to have a good hard think about how we actually keep our community safe from fire because as as the research shows, these fires are becoming more frequent and it's something that's going to continue. So we really need to do what we can to help protect our communities and definitely um, logging, especially logging in areas around near communities is, is actually making these fires more severe and more frequent. So we really need to look at that. And then also too, as you mentioned, climate change, our forests do a remarkably good job at storing carbon and they also sequester quite a lot of carbon as well too. So to put an example, in Tasmania, our forests in 2016, we were the first state to be carbon neutral and that was purely because of we have so much forests here in Tasmania that uh, they sequester as much carbon as Tasmania emits every year. So there's something like 7,500 kilotons of carbon is sequestered, drawn down from the atmosphere by our forests in Tasmania every year. So that's pretty impressive. Well, so let's hope the yeah. state government can realise how valuable they are, apart from just pulp and wood chips and the few sawn timbers that they do produce. Definitely. I mean, our forests have a lot of value and financially this could be in a carbon trading scheme. So if our governments um, decide to change their mind about how they price carbon for a carbon trading, our forests could be quite a good money earner in terms of carbon credits. But also too, they have a lot of value for our wildlife as well. Everybody knows the stories about the poor animals that have suffered from this year's bushfires. They've lost a lot of their habitat. And so we need to be doing all that we can to make sure that the remaining habitat that's been unburnt is actually protected. So logging these areas is having a really strong impact on, on our native species as well. Dr Jen Sanger talking on her recent research, how logging affects fire and forests. You have been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to get in touch with the Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook on Earth Matters 3CR Radio. And to listen to or to share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Look out for more from the Earth Matters team next week. I'm Beck Horridge. And now, Melbourne band Taimori with Feel It.